Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, First Timothy chapter 4. As we are going through First Timothy this morning, we come to the first part of the second half of this book. And so far, Paul's talked about the, the influence of false teachers. We saw that in chapter 1. And then really in chapter 2, he, he kind of shifted gears, chapters 2 and 3, to focusing on how things are to be conducted within God's household, within a local church. Um, but this morning, he's going to kind of shift back in light of what we saw last week, in, in light of this great hymn that he proclaimed. Uh, this morning, we're going to shift back and, and look at the dangers of false teaching, and, and just as... False teaching was a reality in Ephesus in the first century. It's a reality in the United States in the 21st century. And, and I would dare say it's a reality right here, even in Alamogordo. And, and so we're going to focus our attention this morning on how we can recognize false teaching and not be led astray by that. So let's, uh, if you will, stand with me as we read 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. This is what Paul writes under the leading of the Holy Spirit. It says, Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together as the body of Christ, to worship through song as the church has been doing for the past 2,000 years, and to open up your word and to hear it speak to us as your word has been doing for centuries. Will you open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear what you'd have to say to us, that, that where our thinking needs to be changed, you would do that. Where our, our hearts or our attitudes need to be changed, you would do that. And where our actions need to be changed, you would give us the grace and mercy to walk in step with the Spirit each and every day. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Well, 1 Timothy 4, as I said last week at the end of chapter 3, we really focused on this hymn of praise uh, to God, reminding us that, that as believers who are gathered in a local church, we are to be about the task of proclaiming the gospel. That's what he said. In fact, the last part of, of chapter 3 is really just this hymn reminding us of the glories of God, the, the riches, the, the truths of the gospel. He told us that we have the opportunity to proclaim this good news to a lost and dying world. We said, you know, really, in the world around us, there's, there's plenty of bad news floating around. And I think we're hurting for good news. And, and then this morning, uh, Paul shifts our, our attention. He shifts gears a little bit to focus attention, not so much on false teachers, but on those who've been led astray by false teaching. And the danger that that, that uh, 
poses for those in the first century in Ephesus and also us today. Now, now Paul's already addressed false teachers a couple of times. For instance, in chapter 1, in verse 3, Paul urges Timothy, he says, I urged you when I, was, when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine. And, and the general consensus here is that these were probably elders within this church in Ephesus who were teaching false doctrine. And apparently Timothy, like many pastors have done, kind of reached this point where he said, you know what, I think I'm done here. I'm, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to bolt. And Paul's saying, no, I want you to stay put. So that, don't, don't leave. He said, I want you to stay so that you might instruct them not to teach false doctrine. Uh, and then in verse 20, in chapter 1, verse 20, he actually names two of these gentlemen by name, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander. He calls them out. He says, I've delivered them over to Satan. Now, that seems like a harsh punishment, right? I'm, not, I'm just going to give you over to the devil. Uh, good, good luck with that. Uh, but what he's actually saying is he's, he's removed them from this fellowship in order that they might come to repentance um, because of the false teaching and, and the way they were leading people astray. Now, now in, in, verse, or in chapter 4, as we fast forward, most likely Paul's not referring to these elders, men, men like Hymenaeus and Alexander, and perhaps some others who were teaching false doctrine, but, but he's most likely uh, addressing Timothy and how to handle those who were being led astray. So he's not addressing those that were misleading, he's, he's addressing those who were being misled. Paul wanted Timothy to understand something about false, timid, false teaching as he's pastoring this church, shepherding this church. And I think there are uh, some things for us to see here as, as well. And the, the first one we see in verse 1, and that is simply that false teaching is assured. It's assured. We're, we're told that it's going to happen. We'll look more at this as we get into 2 Timothy in the spring. This, this will come up again. But for right now, uh, Paul says, now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Um, the, the New Testament's already warned us of this in, in a few places. Uh, for instance, in Matthew 24, 11, Jesus is talking about the last times, and he says that many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. It says it's going to happen. There are going to be those who arise and deceive. We've looked at this passage in Acts chapter 20 a couple of times because this is Paul addressing these elders in Ephesus, whom he'll later write the book of Ephesians to, the letter to the Ephesian church, and First and Second Timothy to Timothy, who's pastoring in Ephesus. And then we have one... Uh, First, John that's written uh, as John is perhaps serving as an elder in Ephesus. And you have Ephesus that's addressed in one of the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. Ephesus is an important city, an important church in the New Testament. And it's not long after Paul had planted this church, he addresses the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. And, and he says this, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. So, so understand, this is something Paul saw from very early on 
that false teaching was going to happen. Jesus promises that false teaching would, would happen. Now, you might look at this and say, uh, well, verse 1 says that it's going to happen in later times. Right? So, so isn't that like the last days, like the days before Jesus returns? And, and in order to understand what Paul's saying here, um, you have to understand the way Paul viewed things. And so for him, these, these later times, or, or the way he'll refer to last days typically, just refers to that last period of time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And so in light of that, we can say we're living in these last times. Now, those have obviously lasted 2,000 years. It doesn't mean necessarily that we're right on the brink, although, I mean, the way, if you look at the way the world's going... I kind of pray that the Lord will return sooner rather than later because I really don't want to see how bad things get. I don't want to see how much worse we can mess up the world but before God puts an end to it. Uh, but it simply means that, that in that time between uh, Jesus' first coming and his second coming, that's the last days, false teachers will arise. And certainly we see that in, in here in the first century. Certainly we've seen that throughout the centuries since and even now in our own day. And, and we can rest assured that false teaching is not going away anytime soon. It, it will continue to be a reality. So, so what do we do with it? Well, if that's a promise, then, then we have to believe it, right? If, if that's a promise that Scripture gives us, we have to believe it. And we have to be prepared for that false teaching so that we're not caught off guard when somebody comes up with this teaching that seems like it's way, right out of left field. The Bible's promised us there's going to be false teaching. There's going to be people led astray. Now, really quickly, let's define false teaching. False teaching is anything that would seek to distort or deny the truth of the Word of God. Okay? Let, let me say that again. False teaching is anything that would seek to distort or deny the truth of the Word of God. One of the things that we see uh, really taken off in, in the United States and, and throughout the world is, is what we call the prosperity gospel. So simply saying that God, God's ultimate desire for you is that you would be happy and healthy and wealthy in this life. That, that, that if you just have enough faith, God's going to pour out all kinds of material blessings on you. Now the problem with that is, is the Bible itself, right? I think we would, we would say, if you read the Bible, that, that that distorts the Word of God. Other false teachings, now I, I know we live in a pluralistic society, right, which wants to claim that all religions are ultimately leading to the same place. It's like uh, that we're all climbing up the same mountain, we're just taking different paths to get there. Uh, the problem with that, again, is what the Bible would say. The Bible says, the Bible quotes Jesus as saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is an exclusive claim. You can't take that claim and take the claims of Islam or the claims of Buddhism or Hinduism or Eastern New Age spirituality and say, well, they all teach basically the same thing because Jesus says, no, no, I'm not, just, I'm not a way. I'm not, just, I'm not a good way. I'm not even the best way. I'm the only way to God the Father. And so, as unpopular and as non-politically correct as it is, we would say that Islam, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Eastern religions, 
are, are not just wrong. In fact, they are false. They are false teaching. And that leads me right into the next thing. The false teaching is demonic. Again, I didn't say it. The Bible said it, right? Uh, chapter 1, second, second half of, uh, chapter 4, second half of verse 1. Paul refers to these as the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. Now in this case, and I don't want to get too far away from the context of what Paul's addressing here in Ephesus, because he's dealing with men and women who would claim to be followers of Christ and yet are somehow holding out another set of regulations. That in order to be a believer, you don't just have to trust in Christ. I mean, that's all well and good, and that's probably a good starting point. But in order to really be a Christian, you've also got to do these things or not do these things. And these will determine how genuine your faith actually is. And Paul says this is actually hypocrisy. And he refers to these people as liars. He says their consciences are seared. Now, I would point out really quickly, these are not characteristics you'd hear uh, described, uh, characteristics that are used to describe Christ, right? I don't think you, anyone would look at Christ and say, well, he's a hypocrite, he's a liar. His conscience was seared. And so if we're to be followers of Christ, surely these are things that should not define us as well. Instead, they're characteristics of the one who wants to steal and who wants to kill and who wants to destroy and the one who roams around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. These are characteristics of Satan, one who would seek to manipulate and deceive. And in fact here, not so, certainly I think we would say Paul could, could say these about the false teachers that are, that are present. Um, but, but in fact, I think he's here, as I've said, he's, he's referring to those who've been led astray, that they've been led astray by not just mere human teaching, but by demonic influence, seeking to lead them away from Christ. See, here's what I've learned about Satan through the years. He's, he's smart and he's crafty. And, and, and honestly, I don't think Satan cares if he turns you into a Buddhist or if he can just... Um, convince you that there's something you need to add to Christianity and lead you astray that way. Satan's ultimate desire for you is that you would be destroyed. And whatever form that may take in your life, he's perfectly happy to do that. And if he can just convince you that you're not a good enough Christian because you don't live up to this standard that you've set or that you've allowed others to set, and through that he shipwrecks your faith, he'll be happy. This is what First uh, John two nineteen tells us about uh, these some of these believers. He says they went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would never have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be clear that none of them belongs to us. Now, what's he saying here? He John, John writes in, in kind of a different way. He, he's simply saying this. Now, let me back up just for a second before I, before I get there. Uh, we as Baptists, all right, I've, I've told you before, I'm as Baptist as the day is long. Always been Southern Baptist, Lord willing, always be Southern Baptist. One of our key beliefs is that um, what we would call the perseverance of the saints. 
That those whom God has saved, he has saved completely and for eternity. We do not believe that you can lose your salvation. We believe you can backslide. We believe that certainly a believer can, can allow sin into their lives and break that fellowship with God, but that ultimately that relationship that, that defines you and I as children of God, once we have accepted the free gift of salvation, is permanent. That cannot be taken away. So what do we do with a passage like this? Because John's clearly talking about some who've come into the fellowship and, and seemed to uh, be a part, but then ultimately they departed. And not just left one local church, they left the faith altogether. And I think what John would say here is, is that happened so that it might become clear that they were never one of us to begin with. Now again, this is what scripture says, Okay. From my end, I'm going to be very careful in making that judgment about somebody else. Because I think that enters into the realm of knowledge that I don't necessarily have. Other than, we would, we would agree with the Bible that uh, what Jesus taught, you will know them by their fruit. Right? And, and someone who would claim to be a Christian but who's never, uh, never produced fruit in keeping with repentance, I would say it's valid to have some questions about that. And, and to ask questions of them. Well, you say you believe this, and yet your life looks like this. What, where's that disconnect? To gently lead them to a point where they either repent for the sin that's in their lives as believers, or awaken to the fact that they've never been saved in the first place. I had that happen just this Wednesday night. Uh, when I had invited um, those who'd never been baptized, who claimed to be followers of Christ, I had four or five ladies that expressed interest in that one night. A couple weeks ago. And then as I've you know, done what I do on Wednesday nights and preach the, the gospel, one of them came forward to be saved this last Wednesday night who was already on the schedule to be baptized. And so I you know, pulled her aside and I went, what's up? <laughs> you, you, you told me you wanted to be baptized. You, you said you were a believer and, and now you came forward to be saved. Let's just make sure we're, we're on the same page here. And she said, um, she said you know, I've, I've really been thinking about that. She said, I've really been convicted that, that I don't think I've ever accepted Christ as Savior. She said, I want to make that right tonight. And so what do I do then? Well, the Bible says that you're already said, no. I said, all right, let's make it right. If, you, if you're not sure, because the Bible says that First uh, John 5, 13 says, I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. I said, let's, let's make it right, right now. And she walked away, and boy, you talk about somebody whose face was lit up and because in that moment, she knew that she had accepted Christ as Savior. It was awesome. Um, so, so Paul wants us to be aware that there's this demonic influence in our lives that will lead us astray. A demonic influence. Listen, even within New Testament churches... You, you think Satan's just barred from, from coming into the, the, the assembly? You think Satan wouldn't love to, to get a foot in and blow up a fellowship of believers? Absolutely. And he can do it in ways that are subtle. That's why Paul tells us we need to be on guard. We need to... We need to know that, that false teaching is assured. We need to know that, that false teaching ultimately comes from Satan himself. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.5, and again, we'll be here this, this next spring. 
But Paul describes it this way as he's describing these people. He says that they, they hold to the form of godliness, hold to a form of godliness, but deny its power. That they come in and they want to look godly. But, but they want you to believe they're godly because they keep the rules better than you do. And then they'll convince you that, that unless you keep rules as well as they do, you're not really a believer. That teaching is dangerous. So, so false teaching is assured, false teaching is demonic, but also false teaching is deceptive. Look at verses 3 and 4. Or really, 3, three through 5. It says, They forbid marriage, demand abstinence from foods, that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word and by prayer. Now we're given some insight into what's actually happening here. Um, there, this false teaching is happening in two big areas. The first one is marriage, and the second one is food. So in marriage, apparently, uh, these false teachers were teaching and people were believing that uh, it is more godly to remain unmarried. That if you really want to serve Christ, if you really want to be holy, you shouldn't get married. Now, now, let me address very quickly, there is nothing wrong with singleness in and of itself. In fact, singleness can be a blessing, and, and singleness can be a call to serve Christ in very special ways. But at the same time, we see that marriage is a blessing. And the problem with these false teachers who would say, well, if, if you get married, you're really a subpar Christian, the problem with that is what the Bible actually teaches. So for instance, you go back to Genesis chapter 2. Now, this is before Genesis 3, where the fall happens, where sin enters into the world. And this is what God says. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. This is God's design for marriage. That man and woman would be together and, and, and that God would provide a helper for the man to, corresponding to him created specifically for one another. You get that, this has always struck me as I'm doing weddings, I always point this out, that this is pre-fall, so this is before sin enters into the world, and, and God says, this is not good. In fact, this is the only thing in all of his creation that he says is not good. It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. So he made woman to fill a role in creation that nothing else could fill. No other creature. Regardless of how good your dog is, that is not your, that, that's not going to fill that role in your life. Right? God made man and woman specifically for one another. Um, now, apparently, as I said, some of these folks in... in uh, the church in Ephesus were being led astray because in 1 Timothy chapter 5, so if you're, if you're there in 1 Timothy, just flip over to, to chapter 5 and look at starting in verse 11. Some of these, some young widows apparently were being led astray by this teaching. Um, he says, but 
talking about this enrollment, this ministry to the widows. He says, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry, and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. So, so they have pledged themselves to something. And then uh, they meet a nice young man. And, and that commitment they made suddenly doesn't start, seem to be as important as it once did. And so this thing they committed themselves to, they end up pulling back from Paul saying, listen, it's better just not to enroll them uh, so that if, if they meet a young man and they want to get married, they're free to get married. They're not held back by this, uh, by this weighty commitment they made. Verse 13, still talking about young widows. At the same time, they also learn to be idle going from house to house. They are not only idle, but are also gossips and busybodies saying things they shouldn't say. Look at verse 14. Therefore, I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. So, so what was happening here is, is there, there were young widows. Keep in mind that, that the mortality rate in those days was, was high. And you typically have uh, men who are much older marrying younger women. And so... It, it happened that, that the older men passed away, leaving young widows. And there were these who were teaching, well, it would be better, m- marriage would make you kind of a sub-rate Christian, so it would be better if you just remained, r- remained single. And what was happening? They were, they were causing disruption. And Paul says, no, it's good. I would prefer that they marry, that they have children, that they manage their households, not to not be led away by Satan like some have already done. So that's the first thing. These folks were teaching that marriage, they were forbidding marriage. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not the way God has designed our world to operate. Secondly, they were, they were dealing with food. Uh, they were denying or they were demanding abstinence from certain foods. Well, if you're going to be a believer, you won't have anything to do with these. All right. Let's just throw something out there. Let's just say it was bacon, all right? I I have no cultural context for that in Ephesus. I'm just using it as an example, all right? Well, if you're really a believer, you can't eat bacon. And somebody's going, but have you tasted bacon? Are Are you for real right now? Jesus doesn't like bacon? Paul dealt with this exact same thing in a church in Colossae, in in Colossians. Colossians 2.16 says this, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. And then uh, jump down a little bit in verses 21 through 23 in Colossians 2. These folks say, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. You get what he said there? These are being laid on you by people who want to control you. They're not of any value in curbing self-indulgence or in promoting godliness. Right? Again, if we go back to creation, what is it? What does God say? What does the Bible teach us? In Genesis 1.31, it says, God saw all that he had made very good indeed. Evening came and then morning, the sixth day. See, see here's the problem. These people were denying that things created and instituted by God were good. They were saying, well, well 
Yeah, but if you really want to be a believer, you won't get married, really, because marriage was instituted by God. And, and you won't handle this, this food, really, because God said everything he made was good. Now, let me add a caveat, okay? Because we're dirty, rotten, sinful human beings, and we'll take this too far, okay? So, so, so let me add a caveat here. Um, this is not an argument for drunkenness or gluttony, right? It's, in fact, there's, there's one point Paul condemns this line of thinking that simply, well, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Woo! Party! No, no, that's not what he's saying, okay? You can take this too far. Paul is not saying, hey, everything's good, so let's go get wasted, right? Both gluttony and drunkenness are called sins in the Bible, to take this passage and to use it for an open license would be a grave mistake. But at the same time, you're free to eat bacon, okay? Praise the Lord. Mm. Man, I, we were at Bahama Bucks yesterday. Do you know they, they'll even put bacon on your, uh, 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 what do you call it, shaved ice at, at Bahama Bucks? Any, anybody want, I mean, you can get bacon ice cream. You, you can get, you know, you can get bacon-covered donuts. If, if that's your thing, Godspeed. <laughs> that, that has nothing to do with anything. That was just an aside. That, uh... so, so what's happening is this false teaching was essentially a form of legalism, which sought to exert control over followers, right? So these false teachers were basically saying, well, if you want to be a believer... You shouldn't get married and you should be a vegetarian. Okay? If you really want to be a believer, you, you gotta stay, you gotta be a vegetarian single for the rest of your life. And here's what I want us to see as we wrap up this morning. That false teaching restricts and the gospel releases. False teaching restricts, the gospel releases. Now, let me clarify again what I mean by that. False teaching will always, and, and if we don't understand religion correctly, this is how we'll see religion. That religion is just putting boundaries on my life. In fact, one of the one of the criticisms of Christianity is that it's really a straitjacket. It's restricting. Because suddenly you, if you want me to become a Christian, you're going to say I can't do these things that I really enjoy doing. And the gospel would come in and say, no, it, it's not a restriction. It's, it's releasing us to enjoy life the way God created it. So, so when we would say things like, um, we, we believe that sex is reserved for marriage, it's not saying, it's, it's not saying sex is bad. It's not saying, ooh, don't, don't get into this dirty thing. No, we're saying it's a wonderful gift that God has given to us within certain contexts. And when we use it within those contexts, we flourish as human beings. When we go outside and, and use it in a way that God has not designed it to be used for, we create destruction. It's not seeking to kill joy and fun. It's to enhance the joy. To use things properly. It's the same with food. Listen, God's given us food. 
And, and one, of the, one of my great, one of the things I love about food is that he, he's given us variety in food, right? Like, you guys ever had a fajita lately? Like, just think, like, you take all these, all these different parts of a fajita and you wrap them up in a tortilla and it creates flavors that, that didn't exist in the individual parts. But if we take it too far, that's what we call gluttony. We go outside the bounds of what God has, uh, has described for us. We, there, there are consequences to that. It's not a restricting thing that we say. We simply want to follow God's guidelines in his creation. And as the creator, he gets to tell us how we're to use creation. So in conclusion, we have to be on guard against false teachers. We have to, we have to be on guard against those who would not seek to win followers of Christ, but followers of themselves. It might look like a prosperity preacher on TV, but it also might look like somebody who's not ever happy unless the attention's on them. See, Paul promised us that, that these men and women would arise in, in the last days. And, and as I said earlier, guess what? We're, we're here. We're in these last days. We're in this, this in-between, what we call the already not yet, where Christ has inaugurated his kingdom, but we haven't seen it fully realized yet. So be on guard. And how do we do that? Well, first of all, the first step to being on guard against false teaching is to trust in Christ. Make him Lord and Savior. Surrender your life to him. Ask him to forgive your sins and be your Savior. Because without the Holy Spirit, you're defenseless. That's why Paul, in, in Ephesians 5, he's describing the, uh, the armor of God. He said, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. There are two aspects of that, the, the word, but also the spirit. We've got, to, we've got to have the Holy Spirit in our lives, directing us and showing us where to go. Without him, we're lost. How do we get that? Through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you've never done that today, if you've never asked Christ to be your savior and forgive your sins, I hope today's the day that you would surrender Ask him to come in and be your Lord or it simply means your boss to come in and take control of your life to forgive your sins to give you eternal life starting today. But secondly, for those of us who are believers, we guard against false teaching by knowing the word. See, the truth of God's word is the best weapon we have against the schemes of the evil one. Don't take anything you hear, hook, line, and sinker, from any preacher up here. I mean, look, bacon's, bacon's a blessing, but, but don't, don't, don't take everything I say, hook, line, and sinker. Don't take everything you hear on TV from a, from a preacher or a news anchor. Hook, line, and sinker. Weigh those things you hear against the truth of the Word of God. How do I do that? Well, it means I've got to know the word well enough to weigh what I hear against the truth of the word of God. But because, can, can I tell you something? This hasn't changed. In, in over 2,000 years, this hasn't changed. This is still, the, the word of God is still true. It's still living and active. And eventually, 
our world will catch up to what the Bible has said. One of my favorite things that, I, that I've heard is, you know, if, if science right now seems like it contradicts something the Bible has said, give it time, science will catch up to the Bible. Weigh what you hear against the word of God so that you might be able to identify false teaching and cling to the true words of life in the Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you so much for the chance to gather together as your people. God, as we saw this morning, there's, there's false teaching that's all around us. Everything from, as, as we saw in Ephesus, legalism that would, that would seek to constrict us uh, into certain molds as believers in order to be more holy. To a world system that simply says, well, if you're just a good person, you'll, you'll be all right in the end. We, we know those both come from the same place, and that's the very, the very pit of hell itself. So, Father, will you help us as believers to be diligent to know the word of God? Will you give us wisdom through your word and through the Holy Spirit to identify when we hear false teaching? That we might expose it for what it is, but also so that we might cling to the truth. And God, I pray if there's anyone in the room who's not yet come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, not yet surrendered their life to your leading and your control, that today would be the day. That you would forgive their sins, past, present, and future. You would move them from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. You might give them eternal life starting today. We thank you so much for your word and for the way it exposes sin in our lives, for the way that it calls us to repentance and to righteousness. May your spirit give us the strength to walk with you each and every day. We ask all these things in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.